0: church, the word of God is beautiful and um, it's never more alive, I have found, than when the people of God give their breath to it. So I can't think of a better way of starting the second half of our morning here together than by giving our voices to today's psalm. And if it's not too much trouble, could we all stand up for this part? As we're going to hear, this is a traveling psalm and I think it sounds best when we, it, when we say it on our feet. So uh, here it is. If the clicker will work, that is. This is where we pray for technology. There it is. Would you read it with me? It goes like this. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. And there's one more. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy bringing his sheaves with him. Thank you very much. You can all have a seat. I've been reminded this year that we are not the people of God alone. I mean, sure, God loves us individually, but he doesn't want us to stay that way. That was never the plan, and it's never ideal. And it's why we all choose to set aside our preferences every Sunday morning to gather together here, to put it on our calendar, even though, let's be honest, the music is too loud or too quiet. It's the wrong style. The preaching is too long or too topical or too cerebral or too mushy and the kids next to us in the pews are too fidgety or whatever. Sunday morning is a reminder that we're all in this together. And all these strange things that we do together here every Sunday aren't really because uh, singing off-key and hearing lectures about ancient literature is really what we like to do in our spare time, right? It's because something has gripped our hearts and convinced us that what God wants to do in us and through us into the world out there is important enough for us to put this on the calendar and show up. And sometimes, let's admit it, that's all that it is. It's something on the calendar. We can be honest. It's an appointment. We are here for a better than average cup of coffee. Thank you, Bartek. A few friendly hellos and a way to prove that our kids that see Other people care about Jesus, too, not just our family. And that's there's there's plenty of Sundays when we are trusting that a church going habit is better for us in the long run. But there's not much to it than that. Let's be honest. We can. And then there are Sundays when we get it. When the songs are more than just songs and when the sermon reads your whole week right back to you. And when the prayer time hits your heart and says, you've got to do better at this. Or just as often it says, actually, you don't. And there are people here this morning who are desperate. And there are people here this morning that are full of joy. And there are people here who could barely drag themselves or their kids out of bed for all of the sadness and all the problems that they're just trying to juggle. And there are people this morning who are bored. And you know what? All of that, it's fine. It really is. It's fine, because we are the people of God here together. There are 150 psalms in our songbook, and in any given week of your life, there's probably 150 people that you have some kind of meaningful connection or interaction with. So that makes one psalm for every single interaction that you have this week. And on any given day this coming week, some of the people that you're interacting with are glad and thankful and they're happy and wonderful. And some of the people that you're going to interact with are sad and tired of it all. And some of them are angry, both the righteous kind and the unrighteous kind. And one of them is so excited about the word of god that they just go on and 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 on turn the page on and 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 on turn the page and on you know which one i'm talking about right let's not make fun of them hopefully some days of the week that's you right let's hope it's a good book sometimes there's people though who are the opposite they can't find god anywhere and they don't know what to do about it and all of these these different people and these different psalms keep rotating around to different people through the week and most of the time it's a good thing that no two people are feeling exactly the same on the same page because when i am grieving it's good for me to know that you can help carry my grief and it's not going to overwhelm you too And I need to know that somebody else is praying for that person that I just can't forgive yet. And I need to remember that today's joyfulness is going to come into contact with somebody else's groaning. And it's good to know that God is present in all of this, all at once, all at the same time. And I would like to suggest this morning that one of the most powerful shifts in the way that we um, approach the Psalms, any individual one of them on any individual day, is to occasionally admit to ourselves that my emotions are not in sync with the emotions in the Psalm that I'm reading right now. Have you ever had that experience before? Maybe you're in a good mood and you open up to an angry Psalm like, well, really not there, God. Why not? But somebody else is right. Somebody else that you know is. Maybe you are in a grieving and sad mode, and you open up the Psalms, and it says, "Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name." And you just think, "Nah." It's good to know that somebody else can pray that prayer, though, too. I think it's a reminder to us that to be the people of God together, we're not on the same page together ever, and that's how God shows us love to all of us, all the time. Because it takes a church to show just how many-sided the love of God is. In other words, the Psalms are the prayers of all of the people of God. All of us. The Psalms look like us. In what we are really dealing with right now. And I've been reminded this year that it takes the people of God in order to make the Word of God alive in our everyday lives. And um, let's take the past month, for example. I've been getting together with a group of Sierra Grace guys that started up from one of these yearly small group studies that we try to do every fall. And about five years ago, this group of guys decided, you know what, let's just keep meeting. And so we have. And now it's part of our calendar. We show up. And it was during a conversation just like Psalm 1 a few weeks ago That one of the guys in the group, thank you, that one of the guys in the group confessed that he grew up in church resenting all of the demands and the expectations for what he should be doing every day. But now that he's a man carrying the weight of a family and a community and a career on his shoulders, he wants to pray and read the Bible every day because he needs it just like a tree, needs streams of living water. It's the only way to become the man that he wants to be, the man that God wants him to be. And two weeks ago, sitting there on the same couch, the young man who was leading the conversation that week described to us how Psalm 42 months ago had given voice to his despair when he realized that he had messed up. And legitimately thought it was going to cost him everything. And he shared with us that lament, that sadness, and it made us pay attention in a new way. And it made us thirst for that kind of comfort that only God can give. And last week, when we were meeting to talk about Psalm 46, um, I told them how Psalm 46, thank you, how Psalm 46 came to my mind and to my lips, when in the moment, my dad and I both thought he would be dead very soon. And I still remember when he reached his hand up and placed it on the back of my neck, his eyes wide with pain, and all I could say was, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble And I've been reminded this year that I need the people of God. If I'm ever going to be a man of God, that I've got to travel together with all of you. And if we're going to travel together, we're going to need songs for the road. So towards the back end of this 150 song Psalms book, there's a group of Psalms that are called the Psalms of Ascent. And it's like a songbook that's inside the songbook. It's like a travel edition songbook to put in your pockets. And um, they're called the Psalms of Ascent because it's likely that people who were traveling to Jerusalem to go worship in the temple during big religious festivals like Passover and all that, they would sing these songs during their journey there, both as a way to pass the time and to get their hearts ready and to keep the kids from hitting each other in the backseat of the camel, something like that. And they are called ascent psalms, you mean going up psalms, because the walk to Jerusalem involves walking up to the top of some pretty high hills. It's a long way up. And that's why whenever you see that word selah written in the psalms, that means it's time to stop and take a water break because it's really, really hot. I just made that up, but nobody else knows what that word means anyway, so why not? Don't look at me like that. It was either that or an Instagram joke. I'm trying to read the room here, okay? Okay. Why not? These are the Psalms that lead us from home to worship. And right in the middle of these Psalms that lead us from home to worship stands Psalm 126, and it's a halfway there Psalm. It's a Psalm that looks back to where we've been, takes stock of where we are, and looks ahead to what's in store. It's a past, present, future Psalm. Let's, let's hear it again together, could we? When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. And then our mouth was filled with laughter, and our tongue with shouts of joy. And then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negeb." Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy, and he who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with them. It looks to the past. Here is a song that just drips with big memories when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. Here, in one line, those travelers remembered the night when Egypt sent their slave ancestors on their way. One day they were bent down low, making bricks without straw, and the next day they were skipping towards freedom, first to and then through the Red Sea. Here in one line, the people remembered how Saul chased David, but the Lord's anointed trusted God instead of taking it into his own hands. Here in one line, they remember Joseph, who was betrayed first by his brothers, then by the master that he worked so hard for, and left to rot in an Egyptian jail with no hope to his name, only to remember through his dreams, see God bring his dreams come true, where he gets to rescue not only that old master, but his own brothers at the same time. God, you've redeemed us in the past. We remember. Psalm also remembers the present moment right now. We are here now together. And even though some of us need to be convinced of it or to be consoled into it, we can remember that God has been good to us. And it sounds so disarmingly pure and even childlike to say it in this little kid way. But we are glad. The psalm looks to the future, too. It's likely that this group of psalms was sorted together during those years when God's people were at their lowest points. They were in exile, dragged far away from their homes and forced to live across the desert and Babylon. And this is a song that remembers that God made them a people by delivering them once. And it pleads with him to deliver them back to their homes again. It's a mixed-together psalm, you see. It's not just mixing hopes with memories, but it mixes joy with sorrow. As we've already said this morning, that's what the psalms are. They're a mixed-together songbook for a mixed-together people with mixed-together lives and mixed-together feelings born out of mixed-together pasts and mixed-together nows. And it's all of us traveling, traveling, traveling on with our hopes set on a harvest of joy so abundant that it doesn't run out. So I want to ask a question this morning. How, how do we become those people How do we become the mixed together people that travels on all the way to the end? So for the past year, this group of men I mentioned before and I have been sharing a long conversation about what it means to be a pastor wherever we are. To be people who take care of other people in the name of Jesus. How do we grow into this kind of people, people who have come to know the joy of God that do not deny, deny the darkness, but they choose not to live in it. They claim that the light that shines in the darkness can be trusted more than the darkness itself. And that little bit of light can dispel a lot of darkness. They point each other out to flashes of light here and there that remind each other that they reveal the hidden but very real presence of God. They discover that there are people who heal each other's wounds forgive each other's offenses, share their possessions, foster the spirit of community, celebrate the gifts they've received, and live in constant anticipation of the full manifestation of God's glory. How do we become the people that we need? How do we become those people, the people That we need. The answer, I think, that the Psalms, and especially this group of on the road Psalms, will tell to us is that the way to become the people we need is to go together in that mixed together way. To go together in sadness and go together in joy. Here are a few reasons why. We need to go together in sadness. And it might be shocking to hear, but especially in our world today, we Christians need to be people who know how to be sad. Here's why. Here's one reason why. Our culture today runs from sadness. We are really, really good in this day and age at leveraging every kind of emotion. We know how to stoke and capture people's anger, their lust, their excitement, their passion, their drive, their humor, their thirst for purpose, and their hunger to be part of a crowd. We know how to work to all of the emotions. There's a product, a service, and increasingly there's an app to help us coddle and pamper and measure our way To any kind of distraction that will distract us away from our sadness. But we need to be sad. Because sadness tells the truth. Sadness admits that something is wrong. And I don't know what to do about it. And sadness admits that this happened and I can't undo it. Sadness admits that this really hurts, and I can't do anything to stop the pain. Sadness admits that this is never going to stop, and I don't know how I'm ever going to learn to live with it. And you know, anger can tell the truth too. And often it's true. We need the kind of anger that gets us up off the couch to do something about what's gone wrong. But not even a holy anger can tell the truth like a holy sadness can. Because holy sadness is admitting that I am too small for this great grief and nothing short of grace will do. As Christians, we need to be people who know how to handle sadness. And I don't mean handle like manipulate it or tolerate it, but people who know that sadness is fragile and precious and must be handled with care. Because sadness is where faith comes from. Sadness, you see, It's the seed of faith. And no true spiritual journey that is honest begins any other way. Because sadness looks out over a broken and barren field and stops trying to deny it, to justify it, to diagnose it, and to work around it. We, church, are people who know something about suffering and sadness. We have something to say about the things that our neighbors run away from. Our society seeks and finds escape. It fidgets away its boredom, its tears, and its dread away. But we are the people who gather and go because sadness, death, suffering, and depression are real. But then there's good news. We don't sing about sadness just to be a bummer. And we don't confess our sins just to be all morbid with guilt. We don't let the sighs and the groans, we don't let them out just to draw attention to our victimhood. We do these things because we have good news. We are the people who don't have to hide. So how do we become the people that we need? We have to go together in sadness. And even if your heart doesn't feel this kind of sadness right now, know that that kind of sadness is here today among us. So if that's not you, let this psalm make your heart tender towards each other. We have to go together in sadness. And we also have to go together in joy. How can we know that our tears, as the psalm promises, will result in praise? This psalm makes a bold promise that sadness given to God results not just in harvest, but in an abundant harvest because sheaves, if you don't know, sheaves are enormous bundles of harvested grain. They're bundles that take armfuls to hold their sheaves stacked on top of sheaves on top of sheaves. It's joy unspeakable and full of glory. How can we know that our tears will result in Praise. And there are more reasons than this, but I'll close our talk today with just two. How can we know? Number one, we have the Psalms. That's how we can know. What I've noticed reading through the Psalms this year is that there are certain diamond Psalms that we treasure up the closest. These are the ones that we memorize, that we, that we paint and display on our walls. And these are the ones that make it into our worship song lyrics. Um, their poetry is finely cut, and their imagery has clarity, and their cadences sparkle. We've um, we've read some of these psalms over the past month together here, but then look before the diamond psalms, every single one of them. Look before, and you will remember how diamonds are formed through world crushing. Pressure. The diamond psalms sparkle like diamonds, but leading up to them are always pressure psalms that feel like just a jumble of raw materials because because you can't get the diamond of the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the work of his hands without rise up, Lord, confront them, bring them down with your sword, rescue me from the wicked and you can't get the diamond psalm of praise the Lord oh my soul all my inmost being praise his holy name praise the Lord my soul and forget not all his benefits who forgives your sins and heals your diseases redeems your life and crowns you with love and compassion who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles you don't get this diamond without this pressure for my days vanish like smoke my bones burn like glowing embers. My heart is blighted and withered like grass, and I forget to eat my food. In my distress, I groan aloud and am reduced to skin and bones. And you don't get this diamond. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul, without my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Pressure comes first. The Psalms make us a promise. They say that if we go together with God, all of our prayers will end. In praise. And it might take a long time, it might take a lifetime, but all prayers end in praise. And if you'll notice, so do the Psalms. Because Psalm 2 starts, why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? But Psalm 150, the very last words say, Hallelujah! Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. It, it's tripping over itself with the hallelujahs. It can't get them out quickly enough. And even this tiny songbook within a songbook follows the same exact pattern. It starts with trouble. It starts with, I call on the Lord in my distress, and He answers me. Save me, Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. And then it ends with, Come bless the Lord, all ye servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the holy place and bless the Lord, and bless the Lord. All prayer ends in praise. We have one more reason to know that this is true. We have Jesus. You know, my favorite detail to think about with the Psalms of Ascent, you know, these on-the-road psalms that you take and you sing together as you travel up to Jerusalem for Passover is to know that Jesus sang them too. Because we have several times in the Gospels where we see Jesus on the road to Jerusalem going to Passover, including one last time when Jesus, with these psalms on His lips, rested the hill and looked out at the city of God and you know what he did he sowed tears of sadness he wept for the city that was supposed to be the city of peace but only knew troubles he sowed tears of sadness before he died so where was his harvest where were his sheaves where was his joy abundance you know where it is? Right there. Where are the sheaves that he brought in? He wept seeds of sadness to grow a new people of God. And that's you. And that's me. Hallelujah.